Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. If you really want to be serious about something, don't think about it as a hobby. And honestly, that's true for any second business or a business that you own is not to think of it as a hobby, but to think of it seriously and run your numbers and have your sheets and everything. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Aaron Spradlin. How you doing, Aaron? Good. How are you doing today? I am doing well as well and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Aaron. She is the co-owner and broker of James Carlson Real Estate where they focus on setting people up with legal Airbnbs to cover their mortgage or reduce it significantly. Erin also has a focus on female investors, where she's done a Bigger Pockets video series, and she's also a blogger for Bigger Pockets based in Denver, Colorado. With that being said, Erin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? 
Sure. So in the past, I had an eight to five job, as I'm sure many real estate agents and investors did. Starting about 2014, my husband and I got into Airbnb here in Denver, and it just started to change our lives pretty rapidly because it was a significant extra income. So after that, we started to look at ways to acquire different properties in Denver. This was before Denver had established laws around Airbnb. So like a lot of other cities throughout the country and stuff, they had a law where it made it illegal because it was under a 30-day rental, but the city wasn't really following up with that, and they didn't really have the staff to look into that. So at that point, we were looking at other rentals, and we started to meet other people that were doing that as well. So then we ended up getting our real estate license dropping out of our eight to five jobs and going into real estate and helping other people identify Airbnbs and properties that were good for that. And then the laws changed. And so now our focus really is getting people into legal Airbnbs because as an investor, you want to know that what you're doing is okay and it's not going to change significantly in the next two years, depending on what city council or whatever decides. Yes. And as a human being, it's good to do legal things versus evil. <laughs> that too. That <laughs> too. Generally good advice. Well, Laws exist for a reason. Yes. What were you and your husband doing professionally prior to getting your real estate license and going all in with real estate? I was a digital marketing director and he worked for the state Supreme Court in communications. And so I actually think both of those past careers have been really beneficial for us because I think we came to real estate with a professional background. So we had an idea as far as communication and what that looked like and also kind of being able to support or justify whatever recommendations you're making to clients. And then also just understanding, I know we both felt like we didn't understand really the value of a real estate agent before we got into it. So we felt like being professionals, we could kind of explain what our value add was and then also get back, have good communication, explain things in a way that we didn't necessarily feel like we'd had that experience in the past when we'd worked with real estate agents. So let's talk about what you offer exactly. Who's your ideal client and what do you do for them? Our ideal client is usually a home buyer and a home buyer that's looking to knock down their mortgage or cover their mortgage primarily with short-term rentals. So the way we go about that is that we research the laws for whatever city they're looking in. Whether or not that city has passed the law, if they haven't passed the law, what that law looks like, also the temperament of city council, city council discussing it and researching it, but hasn't made a decision yet, and then installing them in some kind of property that works for that. And so a lot of times what that looks like is a basement apartment. Sometimes that's a full duplex, so it'll be an up-down duplex that'll be zoned that way and have a kitchen downstairs. And then sometimes it just looks like a basement with a back entrance where you can really knock out the rest of the house so that you're not seeing the Airbnb guests all the time. It's still legal, but that property might not have a kitchen and it might still be zoned for a single family house, but it's still good for an Airbnb and legal. So a lot of our clients that come in have that profile of like, okay, I want to do this, but I want to do it legally and I don't know what kind of property works for that. So I think our value add is coming in and saying like, okay, this is the law for that city and these are the kind of properties that work for that. Mm -hmm. So how do you make money when you do that? From my end or from my client's end? Your end. From my end, I'm a real estate agent, so I make the commission off of that and then we have ongoing relationships with people. A lot of the ways that it will happen is people will come in, 
they'll buy their primary, they'll end up using that money to cut down their mortgage, and then they'll turn around and buy an investment property, whether it makes sense to do it short term, because some cities allow short terms for investors, or if it just becomes a long term investment. So usually we just have ongoing relationships with clients based off of that model. And then we do that model as well on some of our own properties. Okay. You're in Denver, Colorado. So you're able to make commissions on places outside of Colorado? No. We do it primarily for Denver and Colorado Springs. And Denver has different laws than Colorado Springs. So Colorado Springs is a total free-for-all. You can go in, buy anything. The city actually is positioned as far as they're fine with people coming in and doing short-term rentals, whereas Denver is not. So Denver is a primary residence-based law. So we do those two different communities based on what our clients are looking for. Okay. That's the part I was missing. When I asked how you make money on it, I was thinking you were working with people in New Jersey. And so I was wondering how. Okay. All right. So I totally get that you're making commission as a real estate agent for the properties that you find for them. Let's talk a little bit more about that, your business model. So you're helping them find the property and then... Do you consult with them after that or do you not have that part of the business? And it's just, here's a property. It's going to be good for Airbnb. Now go execute the business plan. I think that's a great question because people definitely have that curiosity about us all the time. I will say up front, we don't do property management. I have a lot of respect for people that do do that, but that just seems like an awful or a job that is very hard. How we set people up. This would be the front end as far as like figuring out if the laws make sense, property makes sense, and what they can expect to make money-wise. And then we help them as far as talking about how they want to furnish it, getting checklists in front of them, how they would want to set up their Airbnb advertisement and what that looks like, some of the things that you would want to highlight, how you would be different, and then also introduce them to people. So obviously, we have relationships with property managers, general contractors, and so we'd put them off to people and then do check-ins with them post-close just to make sure that it's going well. I mean, I think for us, it's really important to us that our clients do well. Because we care about them, but also as a business model, it's not good to have people where you set them free and they're failing or whatever. So we have a pretty intense check-in after the fact. When you say intense check-in, we elaborate on that? Just mean we have that relationship with the property manager. So we're always checking in with them to see kind of what the numbers are. And then I would say we're checking with our clients every one to two months in the beginning, not after that, like maybe six months to a year after the first one or two months to see how the setup is on it, if they're having any issues, if there's anything that we can help out with. And just to make sure too that the numbers are running and that they are meeting the expectations of what we've told them. Okay, great. Is that all part of the initial commission that you receive or do you have a consulting thing that covers how to furnish it, how to set it up, advertising, introducing them to team members? Yeah, for our clients, there's no extra charge for that. So it would just be the straight commission. In Denver, typically it's 2.8%, and then in Colorado Springs, it's 3 But for our clients, that's all they pay. For people that aren't our clients, we do charge an hourly consulting fee. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your Airbnbs. What do you have? We had two in Denver that we've actually converted to medium-term rentals because Denver's laws changed. So we didn't want to be outside the law. So we've converted them to furnished medium-term rentals, which means... 30 days or more, but they're still furnished. And so typically for those types of people, we're going after corporate professionals, 
traveling nurses, people that have gotten divorced that are kind of figuring out their situation or in the middle of a divorce, people that have moved here. So that's what our situation looks like in Denver. In Colorado Springs, we just have a straight duplex that is about a mile from downtown and people do Airbnb there because again, it's legal in Colorado Springs, whereas here it's not. So I say Airbnb broadly, but it's actually all the short-term rental markets. So whether that's BRBO or booking.com or HomeAway that falls under that, but that's what's happening in Colorado Springs. And then obviously our Denver model is a little bit different. Okay. So you don't help clients get short-term rentals in Denver. You help them get medium-term rentals in Denver. Well, you can do short-term rentals and we definitely do help people do short-term rentals in Denver, but they have to live in that house. So it can be room in the house. It can be a basement in the house. It can be a mother-in-law suite. Basically the rule here though, is that it has to be where you take your mail. So we help people with that kind of configuration and again, how to do it legally. So I would say probably 50% of our investor clients in Denver do Airbnb, but they do it in the house where they take mail. Whereas Colorado Springs, which is also a big part of our investor pool, they don't have to live there. So it can just be a straight investment. And then you bring in a property manager, obviously, because you can't do short-term rentals very effectively, long distance, unless you have a property manager on it. Let's talk about the last deal in Denver that you found for a client. What's the purchase price and what's the income producing potential for it? Sure. Right now we had someone, they bought a four bedroom house in Arvada, Colorado. That's just a city outside of Denver. They are doing it in their basement. The purchase price of that house was four twenty five, and for their first month made 1600 And they are doing a bedroom downstairs there's another bedroom downstairs, but that bedroom, they're kind of using an office and a kitchen space. So it's not a true kitchen, but it has a microwave, a mini fridge, whatnot. So they pulled in 1600 I don't think that they were overly aggressive. I think they could make more, but they kept their prices lower because it was their first month. And then also because they were just kind of trying to figure out what they were doing. Okay. 1600 a month? Yep. Okay. Which would probably not cover the mortgage depending on how much they put down, I guess, but it'd knock out a chunk of it, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think we try to be clear with people about that. Depending on where you're at, what you're doing, sometimes it can cover the mortgage. A lot of times it won't, but it'll make the payment a lot more comfortable. Oh yeah, absolutely. The background of people who do this, your recent clients, maybe your last three clients who have closed on a house obviously without disclosing who they are, but just tell us a little bit more about their background and their age and maybe their life stage, that sort of thing. That's also a good question. I think in general, they tend to be first-time homebuyers or a little bit younger. So the younger, I mean like 45 or younger, 40 or younger. And I think that is because just honestly, a lot of that profile is more interested in Airbnb and has had more exposure to it. So I think sometimes with an older clientele, it's hard to get them to have buy-in on that or they're new to it. And it's interesting because I think that seniors actually are the fastest growing demographic for Airbnb, but they tend to do a room in their house or a house that they already own. They're not looking to purchase a house and do that. So typically our clients tend to be in big life stages. So they've just gotten married or they're just having a baby or they're just purchasing that first house. And then they're open to doing something to cut down their mortgage. And usually they've heard of us because they've done some research online or they're hearing about it through bigger pockets 
and or they've had that experience where they've gone and stayed at an Airbnb under that experience and then thought to themselves, oh, maybe I should try and do this. What are some misconceptions your clients have when they initially start working with you and they're asking questions about the process? Two things. I think the first sometimes is that people think it's easy money or free money. And it's like, it's good money, but it's neither easy nor free. I think (laughs) they should have that expectation. Especially if you're doing it in your house, you are going to be doing cleaning. Sometimes you're going to be fighting with your spouse about the furnishing and things like that. So I always try to knock that down immediately. Like expect this to be sort of a second job and also expect to think about it as a business. If you really want to be serious about it, don't think about it as a hobby. And honestly, that's true for any second business or a business that you own is not to think of it as a hobby, but to think of it seriously and run your numbers and have your sheets and everything. That's part of it. And then I would say the other thing is getting them over the hump of what you can make. So sometimes they're kind of locked in on the long-term rental numbers and they have a hard time getting over this is what you can do short term and these are the nightly rates and this is what's happening in your neighborhood. So I feel like there's an education piece as far as getting that into their head of this is actually what the numbers are because they're looking at long-term numbers or likely if they've decided to go into investing, they have a family member that did it before them. So that family member is saying, no, you know, on a two bedroom, I'm cash flowing a hundred or whatever. So just getting them to come along on that. Wouldn't the short-term numbers nine times out of 10 be more favorable than the long-term renter numbers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So usually what we see is about 150% to 200 if you're doing it full-time. So definitely not like that example that I told you about with the 1600 But if you're a full-time investor, usually we say one and a half times to two. We try to back that up, obviously, with neighborhoods. Unless you've made a pretty bad decision. Usually I think the short-term rental numbers are better, but there are additional costs that you have to take into account. So now you're paying for the utilities, the trash removal, you've had to pay for the buy-in in the beginning to furnish the place. Usually your insurance is about one and a half times higher because even though Airbnb promises insurance, we usually like our clients to have an additional insurance product on it. So There are other expenses, and I would say at the beginning, it can be a little bit more expensive, but long-term, your monthly should definitely be better. When you do those follow-ups with your clients, what's one thing that someone's complained about or they didn't take into account initially as much as they should have? Setup, honestly, I think that that's always an issue. That's where we ran into problems, and it's definitely where you see clients run into problems. There's just a lot of decisions that have to be made on the furnishing and how long that takes. I think there's different philosophies on that as far as whether or not you want to go through Craigslist or Facebook market or something to acquire cheaper furniture versus just going to Ikea and doing a buy. So I think you see people maybe stretch out the timeline longer than they should based off of that or you see business partners and or couples getting in fights over how expensive they think they should do it. So I think that part of it, I also think property management, sometimes you have people that have different ideas as far as how much the property manager should be involved, how much they should be involved. So those are some of the sticking points that come up a lot. What are the fees that are typical for a property management company? Should they be involved to the greatest extent that they could be involved? Usually we see 15 to 25%. I would say 
20% seems to be the average where we're at. Those people are pretty intense. Like for our properties, the property manager that we use is 18% and we are really no part of it. We're pretty hands-off. They provide us with a monthly report and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's of the collected income? Yeah. Okay. So what are the responsibilities that they undertake in your example where they collect 18%? So they are handling all the communication, which I think the communication on a short-term rental is a lot more intense. So people have a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, you're saying, oh yeah, I... Because I've rented from one and my wife and I have, and I know she asks a lot of questions, so I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end. Well, I feel like there's this idea. I mean, it's it's good, right? I mean, that's why people like it and why it got started. But they want to know, like, the coolest places to go in town. Where do you like to go get your beers? Or but something that's off the beaten path that's not just a touristy thing to do. And I think there's ways to limit those questions now by building out your Airbnb profile correctly and stuff. But I think there's just a lot of communication that goes on. So I think your property managers really are dealing with all of that. I think cleaning, obviously, is a huge issue. So if you have a long-term rental, you're not worried about these things. But if you have a short-term rental, you're changing out and doing a clean every single time someone stays. And it's honestly a huge complaint that we hear about from the guest side is that people always want it to be really clean. They don't want to see a rogue hair somewhere, something gross. So I think your property manager has to put in place a really good team and make sure that that's done. So those seem to be the stressors. And then again, dealing with just if there's any kind of issue that happens, that would happen with long-term property as well. But your short-term rental management has to take care of it if there's a flood or a backed up toilet or whatever. So they're dealing with that piece of the normal long-term rental piece, but then on top of it, the communication and the cleaning. And what do you do? What do you mean? What do you mean? I sit back. Right. Yeah. So like with, I have three single family homes and I sit back too. I just get a monthly report. Is that the extent of it for you since you have a property management company doing all this? Yes, it is. And that's how we want. I really feel like a good manager. I really don't want to hear from you that often. I want to have a relationship where we trust each other enough. I let them make any decisions up to 500. I feel like I trust you. That's why I have that relationship. And I really want you to handle this. And then if something bigger comes up or we need to change something or I see a drop in numbers, then maybe we're talking. But in general, I don't want to be involved. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Short term. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> I've definitely been our market. And I think going after cities, where you're saying, so we're pretty bullish of Colorado Springs. And I think the reason for that is that you see a lot of millennials come in It's a city that had pretty depressed housing costs because people didn't want to be there. It's sort of interesting. It was on the front range, but now it's benefiting from the fact that Denver is so expensive. So people are flooding into that. So I guess I would say, look at cities that surround cities that are very popular because it turns out that the cities are probably going to get expensive and you're going to benefit from that overflow. And again, if you can find a place that will allow for short-term rentals that is sort of a destination, I think you're going to do pretty well that way. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great 
tenants. What if you could earn ten thousand per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single-family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. All right, Aaron, best ever book you've recently read? Long Distance Investing by David Green. If Airbnb and short-term rentals became illegal, they had the same policies in place in Colorado Springs as they do Denver. What would you do with your business? I would kind of keep our business model similar, but I would tell people to move into medium-term rentals like we've done in Denver. I think it's been a really positive experience for us. Those people tend to pay more. They're really responsible. And a lot of times they convert into long-term renters anyways because they get into the situation. They think they're going to be there for three months. And just because of life circumstances, they end up becoming a six-month or a year-long tenant. And it just ends up being a good relationship for everyone. And I honestly think you could just build a business model around those people without the short or the long-term on it. Best ever deal you've done? definitely my place in Colorado Springs. So the duplex that we have down there is cash flowing quite well. It's duplex. And then again, I just think Colorado Springs is a hot place where the prices are increasing and that they have a lot going on down there. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Buying in an HOA. (laughs) No doubt. I know that in the past I've read about people or since then I've read about people not buying in condos and that's definitely been true for us. We had a really good investment it was cash flowing quite well. And then it looked like we were going to get hit with a huge special assessment and the HOA was just causing a lot of issues. So I don't think we would repeat that. Best ever way you like to give back to the community. We have something called 2.8% gifts. So every single commission we do, we give 2.8% back into a charity of our clients choosing. So that's one way I think we like to keep it local. And then also we do a lot of education, a lot of free education because Like I said before, Airbnb really affected and changed our lives, allowed us to quit our jobs. So it's exciting to talk to other people and help other people get in that position as well. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and your company? They can find us on jamescarlsonrealestate.com. That is our website. They can also find us on Bigger Pockets. So I have a dedicated blog there under Aaron Spradlin. And then my husband, who is my business partner, also has a profile, and that's James Carlson. Aaron, thank you for being on the show, talking about your approach to short and medium term rentals and talking about some misconceptions that are in place with people who are just getting started, and then also some challenges for furnishings, property management, and solutions to those challenges. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great day. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single-family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.